You're listening to Isaiah, a sermon series from Coram Deo Church in Omaha, Nebraska. For more resources, visit cdomaha.com. This morning's reading is Isaiah chapter 29. Ah, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David encamped. Add year to year, let the feasts run their round. Yet I will distress Ariel. And there shall be moaning and lamentation, and she shall be to me like an Ariel. And I will encamp against you all around, and I will besiege you with towers, and I will raise siege works with against you. And you will be brought low. From the earth you shall speak, and from the dust your speech will be bowed down. Your voice shall come from the ground like the voice of a ghost, and from the dust your speech shall whisper. But the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust, and the multitude of the ruthless like passing chaff. And in an instant, suddenly, you will be visited by the Lord of hosts, with thunder and with earthquake and great noise, with whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a devouring fire. And the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel all that fight against her and her stronghold and distress her shall be like a dream, a vision of night. As when a man dreams and behold, he is eating and awakes with his hunger not satisfied. Or as when a thirsty man dreams and behold, he is drinking and awakes faint with his thirst not quenched so shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. Astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers. And the vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot read. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, who sees us? Who knows us? You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay that the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me, or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? Is it not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest? In that day, the death shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. For the ruthless shall come to nothing, and the scoffer cease, and all who watch to do evil shall be cut off, who by a word make a man out to be an offender, and lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate, and with an empty plea, turn aside him who is in the right. Therefore, thus says the Lord, who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall no more be ashamed. No more shall his face grow pale. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. And those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding. And those who murmur will accept instruction. This is the word of the Lord.
Uh, I have a couple announcements to begin. First of all, I uh, want to ask that you'd be praying for my wife, Lee, and I. A week from today, we go to the Acts 29 Pastors Retreat, which is a, a national and actually international gathering of all the pastors who are part of our network from all around the world. And so we'll be there. It's a good chance for us to get encouraged and to encourage others. And so um, an interesting and fun week for us every year, but one where there's lots of opportunity for us to minister to people and want to ask that you'd be praying for that. Um, And as well, as part of that season, I usually try to take some time in the summers just to work more on the church and think a little longer term about the future. And so I'm going to be doing that in kind of the next four or five weeks, some of the leaders within our church are going to be preaching. And so uh, Kevin and Nick and Trent, some of those guys will be sort of carrying the pulpit during that season. And so I want to ask that you be praying for them too as they prepare, as they serve us by teaching the Word of God. Um, that's a, a challenging rhythm to be in. It's a challenging thing to do, and so pray for them. Finally, I want to mention tonight the... Uh, Everyday Mission Workshop that's taking place right here. You've heard about this already, and so I hope you're planning on joining us. My friend Ben Connolly will be here. Uh, he's a pastor of a church in Fort Worth, and writ wrote a, a very good, helpful manual in training us to be missionaries in everyday life, and so I want to invite you to come to that. That'll be right here from 6 to 9 p.m. Do you remember back when you were a brand new Christian? Do you remember the earnestness and the the presentness, the engagedness of your faith in those early days when you first became a disciple of the Lord Jesus? Do you remember how you used to open the Bible and it was almost like the words were jumping off the page at you like God had written this directly to you? Remember getting together with people? for community and feeling like, man, the Spirit of God is here and vibrant. I'm just learning things all the time. Do you remember when you used to pray and it felt like God was right there in the room carrying on a conversation with you? Do you remember coming to worship and and just feeling overwhelmed with a sense of God's glory and goodness? Some of you are in that season right now. You're brand new Christians, and I love that. I love That season, those are some of my favorite people, and I love what you bring to a church, the sort of freshness and vibrancy of your faith. Some of you who are not in that brand new season know, don't you, that something happens as you grow up spiritually that really isn't growing up at all. Maybe for you it started when God didn't answer a prayer that you were earnestly praying and seeking him for. Maybe for you the change started when, when a, a dear friend of yours fell away from the faith and stopped walking with the Lord. Maybe for you it happened when you had some experiences with Christians that just left a bad taste in your mouth. But however it happened and whenever it happened, slowly and subtly and even imperceptibly, cynicism started to creep into your soul. You became a cynical Christian. Maybe cynicism seems like too strong a word for you. Maybe you're not convinced that's the best way to phrase it. And so I'm going to try to convince you by the end of this sermon that that is in fact precisely what's going on in your soul. But let me give you three other words in case you don't like that one. Dry, dead, dull. Does that describe the state of your soul? This is the condition that Isaiah wants to talk to us about this morning. It's not a new condition. It didn't start with us. It's not like you're the only person who's ever experienced this or felt this. It was present in Isaiah's day. He, he, he's confronting and addressing this condition in Isaiah 29. And can we be honest? This is a condition that sort of plagues us as a church, isn't it? Of all the Christians I know, you guys are some of the most honest. And what that also means is we have a tendency to be some of the most cynical some of the most jaded. 
And so I want to ask you that you would really dial in this morning. I want to ask that you would be all here and present with what God is saying in his word. We, we believe every week that the Holy Spirit speaks through the preaching of the word of God. That's our conviction about what happens when we open the Bible and teach from it on Sundays. But, but I think more than usual that the Holy Spirit kind of wants to get up in your grill this morning. That the Holy Spirit wants to provoke us and challenge us and maybe put his finger in some places in us where we don't often want to go. And so let's engage this morning. Let's, let's begin by just defining our terms. What do, we, what do I mean when I say cynicism? What are we talking about here? I want to introduce you to Paul Miller's description from his excellent book, A Praying Life. He's walked with Jesus a long time, and he's seen this in his own heart and in the hearts of others. Here's how he describes it. To be cynical is to be distant. It leads to a creeping bitterness that can deaden and even destroy the spirit. For the cynic, life is already phony. You feel as if you are just contributing to the mess. The cynic is always critiquing, but never engaged, loving, and hoping. Goes on to say, cynicism leaves us doubting, unable to dream. This just shuts down our hearts and we just show up for life, going through the motions. Cynicism is the air we breathe and it is suffocating our hearts. You see some of that in yourself? You see some of that in your gospel community and the people around you? Does that description resonate? I see it in me. In fact, cynicism is probably one of, the, one of the most pervasive struggles and challenges I have in my soul, down in the places that we don't really talk about so much. I struggle to believe that the word of God is true and the power of God is real and that the mission of God is worth it. Just as a little self-disclosure, here's some of what I wrote about 18 months ago in the journal I used to sort of pray and process with God what's going on in my heart. I think people underestimate how much work it is for me to function as a pastor. I'm plagued with a pervasive skepticism that is made worse by Satan's constant attacks. The hard work of fighting doubt and cynicism is often exhausting. That's how I feel. That's what's going on in me. Maybe you're somewhat like me. We've seen Paul Miller's description of cynicism. Let's, let's look now at Isaiah's. What, what Isaiah does in chapter 29 is really brilliant because cynicism is, is sort of a disposition that's down deep inside of us, right? It's hard to even put your finger on it and say, oh, that's what it is. And so what Isaiah does is he paints us a picture of what it looks like when cynicism manifests itself. He paints us a picture of what it looks like when this disposition of soul plays out in our words and in our thoughts and in our actions. He's sort of painting us a composite picture of cynicism. And, and so let's take a look. I'm going to show you five signs of cynicism, five aspects of it that Isaiah points to and says, can, can we talk about this? Here's the first one. A disconnect between mouth and heart. A disconnect between mouth and heart. Look at Isaiah 29, verse 13, maybe the most important verse in the chapter. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. Notice the word while. 
Isaiah's not saying that it's wrong to go through seasons where your spiritual life is more vibrant than seasons where maybe it feels drier. What he's saying is the problem is they're drawing near to me with their lips at the same time that their heart is far from me. There's a disingenuineness about their drawing near. There's a disconnect between their mouth and heart. They're saying all the right things, but their hearts are not engaged. Do we ever do this? Do you ever do this? So even think about our rhythm of worship every week. When we, when we confess our sin together corporately, are those words expressing the desire of your heart? Or are your lips just moving? The songs that we sing that speak of these great truths of what God is like, are these reflecting longings and desires of your soul and your heart, or are they just what you're saying because they're on the screen? The first sign of cynicism that Isaiah wants to hold up as a mirror and say, do you see this in you? Is a disconnect between mouth and heart, drawing near with our lips while our hearts are far from God. Here's the second sign. Similar but different. A disconnect between ought and is. Look at the last phrase in verse 13. This people honors me with their lips while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. In other words, someone told them they should fear me, which is true, but that's all their fear is. It's obedience to what someone said should be true instead of something that's actually true. There's a disconnect between ought and is. They're living in the world of should, but the world of should isn't reality for them. See, cynicism looks at the commands and promises of God in Scripture, and because something about it is jaded, what it says is, I doubt whether that could actually be true for me. I see what God's saying. I doubt whether it could be true for me. This is the biggest challenge about being a pastor, being a spiritual leader. Is that, my job is to point you to the commands and promises of Scripture. I can say, here's what should be true of you. Here's what should be true of us as the people of God. But you know what? I can't make that true. This is the challenge of the work that I'm involved in, the work that we're involved in as we minister to others, is we're saying, here's what should be. We need the grace of God for it to be so. Isaiah says, this people, their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. It's not real and present. It's what someone told them should be. And they're trying hard to live in that should, but it's not what is. Here's the third sign. The third manifestation of cynicism. Apathy and laziness. This is kind of epidemic for us. Look at verse 11. By the way, you're going to see here sarcasm, okay? Isaiah uses sarcasm as a vehicle redemptively. He's trying to provoke. He's trying to get you to see something you might not want to see. And so what he does often, and you've seen this as we've studied this book, is he, he sort of pokes fun at the foolishness of how we tend to think. Look at verse 11. And the vision of all this, all that God has said, has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. Okay, so he's, he's wanting you to picture. Picture this book that's sealed. When men give it to one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I can't, it's sealed. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I can't read. But what Isaiah's doing here is he's poking fun at the fact that they're so apathetic and lazy that they won't overcome their own simplistic excuses. He's saying, God's given you a word, and he said, read this, and here's what you're saying. 
oh man, I don't, it looks like a lot of work to break that seal. Or you're saying, yeah, realistically, I don't know how to read. And what he's saying is, and God's word isn't important enough to you to learn how to read. But either way, whether your objection is laziness or just I don't quite know how to read, he's saying either way, the fact that God has given you his word should make you want to overcome the objections you have. But instead, here's what you offer. I don't know if it's worth it. See, here's the funny thing about us. We do what we want to do, right? If I want to work out, I'll work out. And if I want to eat healthy, I'll eat healthy. And if I want to read God's word, I will read God's word. And so the problem for us is not that you're too busy or that your life has a lot going on or that there are other things that command your attention. Your problem is at the end of the day, you don't want to. At the end of the day, your problem is cynicism of heart. Because guess what? If you'd loved the word of God, you'd find a way to read it, right? Isaiah is saying, if the invitation from God, read this, doesn't engender in you a response of like, yes, I want to. I'll figure out how to. I'll get around some people who can help me do it. If that's not the response it creates, then... You need to stop making excuses about how it's about your busyness and your time and your schedule and start looking more deeply. You're not being realistic about the depth of cynicism in your soul. There's something deeper going on. Apathy and laziness is a sure mark of cynicism in your soul. Here's the fourth sign, the fourth manifestation. Verse 1. Obligatory worship. Obligatory worship. Look at verse 1. Ah, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David encamped. Add year to year. Let the feasts run their round. Again, Isaiah is leveraging sarcasm here. He's saying, hey, Jerusalem. Yep, another feast coming, another festival. Another Easter, another Christmas, another Advent season. Another Sunday morning, time to go to church again. He's poking fun at the fact that their worship is no longer an encounter with God. It's just a day on the calendar. They're still showing up for feasts and festivals and and for the, the gatherings of God's people for worship. They just don't expect God to be there. They don't expect anything to happen. Cynicism expresses itself in a casual obligatory worship that doesn't expect God to show up. So let's, let's just talk honestly with ourselves. Let's just be honest about ourselves. This is a safe place to do that, David said, so let's be honest. Is this true of us sometimes? Are there Sundays when you're here And really, it's just sort of an obligatory, ah, this is what we do. Here I am. Band, get me to a place of worship, because I'm not sure I'm there yet. Do your job. Sing. I'll get there by the time the service is over. So I had this odd experience recently. David and I were um, talking about this this past week. We went to this uh, Connor Ober show a couple weeks ago down at the Sokol Auditorium. Some of you guys were there. I saw you. And, and here's what I experienced at that Connor Ober show is, is a room packed with people. And people are singing the lyrics to these songs. They're like fists in the air, excited about the song that he's playing the intro to. They're standing, they're engaged, they're on the sort of balls of their feet, looking, ready to experience this concert. Just sense of almost, could we call it Worship. Though they're not worshiping God, they're expressing joy in something, right? They're expressing appreciation for something, for this singer, this songwriter, this music, this band. And then a few days later, I came here on a Sunday morning, and I saw a lot of this. Now, look, I'm not, I'm not for a moment the kind of person who's prescriptive about what worship looks like. 
I'm not going to tell you, man, if you're not raising your hands or dancing, then you're not worshiping God. For me, some of the most worshipful moments I have look exactly like this. Just letting the truth of God wash over me in a very simple way. But, But what I want you to hear is, if when someone comes here among God's people, there's not a sense of, these people expect something to happen here. They're excited about being here. There's a moment here that they don't want to miss. If, that, if a Connor Obers show feels more like that than our worship does, then how are we ever going to commend the gospel to our city? What do we have to offer that they can't find there? Sure, the gospel, right? But so what? If they don't see that make a difference among us. We have this, um, <laughs> this thing that we laugh about as a staff team because this happened probably a year ago, and I don't know who it was, so I think I can talk about it without offending you. But the, Mike Kresnick swears this happened. I, I did not see it. It just was so funny to me that I was like, that, I, I, I argued with him for about 10 minutes that that can't possibly have happened. He's like, dude, I swear. Okay. So there was someone standing in the back during worship, one hand raised like this, other one scrolling through their Twitter feed on their phone. Right? Like, you can't possibly be worshiping and checking your Twitter feed at the same time. I mean, like, let's just put the phone away for an hour, right? But this is, this is the reality for us. There's this sense that our worship can be obligatory and kind of I'm here doing my thing. I'm even raising my hand because that's what we're supposed to do here, Right? Isaiah says, if, if, if worship is obligatory, when it feels like you're just sort of going through the motions, that's a sure sign of cynicism. Here's the fifth one. Unholiness. Look at verse 15. Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, who sees us? Who knows us? See, rather than a passion for obedience that's driven out of love for God in a sense that God is very present, what the people are doing is they're hiding sin. They're living in darkness. If there's a secret sin in your life, if there's a disconnect between the church you and the real you, that's a guarantee of cynicism in your heart. You see what Isaiah is saying? You see how you get there? He's saying, you're functionally an atheist because here's what you're saying. Who sees us? Who knows us? God's not real. God doesn't see this. There's not a fear of answering to God for how I live my life. I'm not even sure if he's real. So who cares if I just kind of go on doing my thing? living in darkness in secret, showing up on Sundays and kind of being there. Unholiness is a sign of cynicism. It's a sign that you don't believe that there is a God who does see and who does know. So, so here's the picture, the composite that Isaiah sketched for us. Do you, do you see these things in yourself? A disconnect between mouth and heart. A disconnect between ought and is. A sense of apathy and laziness, especially about the word of God. An obligatory approach to worship. A sense of unholiness. A lack of passion for obedience. This is a picture of what cynicism looks like. How it manifests itself. And Isaiah just wants to hold up this mirror and say, Do you see you? Do you see yourself in this description? Is there anything here that resonates with your experience right now? Why would Isaiah do this? Does he want to just sort of provoke us and beat us over the head with truth? No. He's holding up this mirror because he wants to show us the way out of cynicism. He wants something different for us. And so he's going to show us the way out. He's held up the mirror and and helped us to see our cynicism so that we'll be motivated to ask, what's the way out of this? (laughs) How do I get somewhere else? The way out has two components. Isaiah is going to show us what is true 
and what we should do. What is true and what we should do. In other words, he's going to give us truth. He's just going to give us unadulterated, unfiltered truth. And then he's going to give us direction. And isn't it true that those are the two things that we need? We need truth to defeat our lies. And we need direction to give us a sense of where to go and how to walk. He's going to give us both. Let's look first of all at what is true. Here's why truth is crucial to defeating Cynicism, because cynicism is the assumption that what I see is reality. Cynicism is actually deeply prideful because it says the way I see the world is the way the world is. C.S. Lewis referred to cynicism as seeing through. He's getting at the idea that, that a cynical spirit says, I see what's really going on here. I see through the spin and through the marketing and through what people are saying, and I see what's really happening. Let C.S. Lewis rebuke us for a moment. Listen to what he says. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. It is good that the window should be transparent because the street or garden beyond it is not. But what if you saw through the garden too? If you see through everything, then everything is transparent. But a wholly transparent world is an invisible world. To see through all things is the same as not to see. In his characteristically helpful way, C.S. Lewis is saying, cynicism leads to blindness. You can't see because you're so convinced that what you see is the way things are. One of the things you and I need to wake us up out of our cynicism is God's view of things. We need truth. We need something to show us, oh, the way I see, the way I perceive isn't actually the way things are. And so Isaiah wants to confront our smug cynicism with an industrial strength dose of truth. Here's the principle that Isaiah wants to lay on us, and it's, it's not one that we really like to think about. Here's really what Isaiah says in verses 1 through 8 of this chapter. God will oppose you in order to redeem you. God will oppose you in order to redeem you. If God's greatest desire is redemption for his glory, if he's gathering a people for himself, and if what keeps you from experiencing the fullness of that redemption is your own cynicism and sarcasm, then what God will do for the sake of your greater good is to oppose you. Look, I'll show you. Look at verse 2. Remember, he's talking to Jerusalem, to the people of God. Yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be moaning and lamentation, and she shall be to me like an Ariel, and I will encamp against you all around. I will besiege you with towers. I will raise siege works against you, and you will be brought low. From the earth you shall speak, and from the dust your speech will be bowed down. What he's saying is, Jerusalem, I'm going to come against you. I'm erecting siege works against you. I'm going to dismantle and demolish your city. I am personally coming against you in judgment. Not not the verse you want to close in prayer with, right? Not the one that you have on a coffee mug from the Christian bookstore, right? We don't we don't talk about these things at parties as Jack Nicholson said once. All right? But, but look where this is going. It doesn't end there. The re- that God says, I'm coming against you, Jerusalem. And then, but look at verse 5. starts with the word, but. But the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust. The multitude of the ruthless like passing chaff. In an instant, suddenly, you will be visited by the Lord of hosts. Verse 7. And the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel shall be like a dream and a vision of the night. 
So he's saying, ultimately, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to save you. None of those nations that want to destroy you are going to succeed. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to deliver you. And first, I'm going to come against you. Isaiah is revealing us to the principle that God will oppose us in order to redeem us. God doesn't play the game by your rules. In fact, verse 14, God says, I will do wonderful things with this people. He doesn't mean wonderful in the sense of like, oh, they're really going to be good. We're going to love them. He means wonderful in the sense of mysterious, arousing wonder, making us go, hmm, I don't really get that. God will oppose you in order to redeem you. Here's why this truth is so crucial for us to get, because isn't it true that we often use our Christianity to excuse our cynicism? Have you said things like, maybe you've said this even in your head this morning. Okay, yeah, maybe my heart's not where it should be, but at least I'm here. Right? What you're saying is, yeah, yeah, I'm cynical, but at least I'm in Jerusalem. Now, it's true. It's good you're here. But God's not okay with your cynicism just because you're here. God's not saying, oh, yeah, yeah, you're cynical. We'll get to that later, but I'm just glad you're here. God is saying, I want your heart, not just your mouth. I want your heart, not your ritualistic worship. I want your heart, not your excuses. I want you, all of you. And see, the way out of cynicism starts with embracing what is true. That God will oppose us in order to redeem us. In other words, think about this. Maybe that dryness, that dullness, that deadness in your soul is God letting your cynicism run its course. Don't we like to think that what it means for God to be the Redeemer is that he rescues us? Ultimately, that is what it means, but sometimes the way he gets there is by letting us experience the consequences of our own cynicism. Isaiah wants to lead us out of cynicism this morning. And he wants us to start by reckoning with the truth that God is God. That God's ways are mysterious. That God's ways are wonderful. That sometimes God lets cynicism have reign in our souls to show us just how dead and dry and dull we can get. To bring us to a place of desperation. Are you there yet this morning? Are you desperate for God's renewing, reviving, awakening presence? Isaiah starts with what is true. And then he wants to show us what to do. He doesn't just want to give us truth because he knows if he just drops truth on you without direction, it might, it might give you clarity, but you'll be left without help. So he wants to give you clarity, but now he wants to bring direction and here's what he shows us to do. It's real simple. Humble yourself before God. Here's the key verse, verse 19. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. Fresh joy, not last week's joy. Not the joy from back when you were a new Christian, but that was a long time ago. Fresh joy. Who does this come to? Who obtains it? The meek, the humble, the lowly. In other words, the only way out of cynicism is humility. What we need to do is to humble ourselves before the Lord. Isaiah is saying, here's who God is. Here are the mysterious ways in which God works won't you humble yourself before him? 
to, to help with this, look at, look at the picture Isaiah paints in verses 17 through 21. That verse, the meek shall obtain fresh joy, is right in the center of that section. But let's read the whole section. Is it not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field? And the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. And the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. For the ruthless shall come to nothing. And the scoffers cease. And all who watch to do evil shall be cut off. Do you hear the repetition of this shall happen, this shall happen, this shall happen? What these verses are, are a promise of revival. Renewal, awakening. They're a promise that God is bringing this, wants to bring this, and they're also a reminder that God's the one who has to bring this about. You can't deliver yourself from your own cynicism because it runs too deep. What you need is awakening, revival. Renewal and God is the renewer and the reviver, the redeemer of his people. What he wants is for us to humble ourselves and ask for renewal, for revival, for awakening, for fresh joy. Here's the beautiful thing what was future for Isaiah's readers is present for us. Notice Isaiah says, as he said often in this book, in that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. What day is he talking about? He's talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've read a little bit of your Bible, and if you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what do you notice that Jesus does in a lot of his miracles? Do you not see Jesus healing the blind? Opening the ears of the deaf? Don't you see that Jesus doesn't choose those particular miracles just because he's a nice guy that likes to help people and there happened to be a blind guy there? Right? There are lots of things Jesus did to heal and to help people, but the reason he chose particularly healing the blind and healing the deaf is because his miracles are redemptive historical in their import. They're designed to be a sermon to us. Jesus saying, I'm opening your blind eyes. I'm unstopping your deaf ears. This day that Isaiah was talking about has come. This is renewal. This is awakening. I'm here to bring you into the fullness of joy and revival and renewal. That's the day that it's talking about. And for Isaiah's readers, that day is yet future. But you see, for us, it's come. It's here. Jesus has come, and he has defeated and triumphed over cynicism. Here's what that means. You're free to not be cynical. I am free to not be cynical. We don't have to remain in the sort of cynicism of spirit in which we find ourselves this morning. We can live in a different reality. I don't just want you to see that Jesus healed the blind and the deaf. I want you to see that Jesus himself triumphed over cynicism. In other words, he was not cynical when we are cynical. Do you remember Matthew's account of the crucifixion? I figured you could probably quote it, but I brought it just in case you don't. Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Here's what Matthew tells us. This is Jesus is hanging on the cross, and Matthew says, Those who passed by derided him. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders, those are all the religious people like us, mocked him, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Do you hear just the sarcasm and the cynicism dripping off those words? And you realize they're saying this to the only person who could have snapped his fingers and actually come down from the cross and done everything they were saying. 
but he didn't. Instead, he bore their cynicism and their sarcasm, and Luke tells us that his response was, Jesus, or Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, your cynicism and my cynicism nailed Jesus to the cross. But his humility, his obedience triumphed over cynicism and brought about a new day. Cynicism got put to death on the cross in Jesus' deep obedience to the Father. And now his resurrection has brought about a new day where we no longer have to live in cynicism. Listen, what I'm saying to you is these promises Isaiah is talking about are ours today. We don't await some future day when God will renew us. We have the ability to be renewed right now today, this morning, because of the good news of the gospel and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here bringing renewal, bringing revival, bringing fresh joy to the meek. If we will only be meek. So this means the application of this sermon for you and I is not go home and fret about your cynicism. Go go journal some more about your cynicism. Go lament with your gospel community about how cynical you all are and what what are you ever going to do about it. That's not the application of this sermon. The application is humble yourself this morning. Cry out to God with fresh humility. Ask God for meekness. Ask God to tear out the roots of your cynicism and bring fresh joy. Let's do business with God this morning. Let's seek him. And I want you to know, as I preach this sermon to to you, I'm preaching it to me. The Spirit's been preaching it to me all week long. And I've been on my knees for this morning saying, God, would you just... And would you bring a fresh humility and meekness and a seeking of awakening for all of us who are cynical and jaded? Let's leave our cynicism behind and follow Jesus into fresh joy. Look at the great promises this chapter ends with. Verses 22 through 24 of Isaiah 29. (laughs) Therefore, thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham, Concerning the house of Jacob. Why does he mention Abraham here? Why the Lord who redeemed Abraham? Because he's trying to draw your attention back to the fact that Abraham, though he was in many ways a skeptic and a cynic, believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. He's drawing our minds back to the nature of Abraham's faith, believing God, taking him at his word. He says, thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. That's us. That's the people of God. Jacob shall no more be ashamed. No more shall his face grow pale. Isaiah pictures here our forefather Jacob in heaven or someplace where disembodied saints are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. And his face is growing pale. He's kind of tempted to be ashamed of us. (laughs) I, I thought I was cynical, but these people have me beat. It's kind of what forefather Jacob is saying as he looks on. And God says, no, 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 Jacob's not going to be ashamed anymore. No more will his face grow pale. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, when he sees my people who I'm going to renew and revive, they will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. And those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding, and those who murmur will accept instruction. In other words, not even all your waywardness of spirit will keep you from God's reviving grace. Not even your murmuring and grumbling and complaining and wondering if this is really true will keep God from bringing renewal in your life. Isn't that good news? It's not dependent on your ability to have a really great attitude. It's dependent on your ability to humble yourself and say, God, I need awakening. I need fresh joy. Come and bring it. So let's ask him to do that together. Pray with me. Father, I confess to you that I am a cynic 
I pastor a church full of cynics and a nation full of cynics in a world that is increasingly full of cynics. We are the people who see through everything so much so that we can see nothing. That's why we don't take you at your word. That's why we're not passionate to make disciples. That's not why we don't experience deep joy in you is because we just see through to the point of being blind. So we acknowledge this morning your graciousness in holding up a mirror and showing us these truths. I pray for myself and for us. God, would you come and would you bring us the gift, the grace of humility this morning? We need fresh joy in you. We need fresh zeal for your mission. We need fresh excitement about who you are and what you've come to do. We need fresh love for one another. You are present now to bring that Holy Spirit. And so we cry out to you by faith and say, do it this morning. Do it this week. Do it in our hearts and in our church and in all the gospel communities that make up our church. Would you come and would you bring awakening and revival and renewal and a renewed capacity to love you and trust you and live in the goodness of your promises. Thank you that you will oppose us in order to redeem us. So God, don't let us be stubborn. Don't let us be hard-hearted. Bring us meekness and humility this morning that we might know the fresh joy that you promise. We pray this for your glory and for our good. Amen.